0: Hello and welcome to the Summit College Love Your Neighbor podcast, a podcast designed to help college students love their neighbor on the college campus in both word and deed in our complex cultural moment. Hi, I'm Wes Smith, the Summit College pastor, and today we'll be talking about how to love your neighbor who holds a different sexual ethic than we do. Christian view of sexuality might be the most countercultural view we hold on the college campus. What Christians have taught for centuries about sexuality seems to the culture at best to be outdated and at worst to be bigotry. But what I want to show us today is that as Christians, we are called to both hold firm to our theological position and at the same time have a loving relational posture towards those who think and act differently than we do. We are compelled by the love of Christ to befriend and show kindness to all people and compelled by the truth of Christ to honor the teaching of Scripture on sexuality. So today, we're talking about how to love our neighbor who has a different sexual ethic than we do, or specifically, how to love our LGBTQ neighbor. But to start, I want to clearly lay out what is our theology on sexuality and then get into what our relational posture should look like. So if I had to sum up the Christian teaching on sexuality, it is this. Sex is a good gift from God given exclusively for marriage between a man and a woman. I'll say it again. Sex is a good gift from God given exclusively for marriage between a man and a woman. So first we see that sex is a good gift from God. We often treat sex like it's something that God never intended to happen, but Adam and Eve just figured it out. But in all actuality, God invented sex and gave it as a gift. He is the one that created sex both for procreation and for pleasure. So God is not anti-sex in any way, and he's not in heaven trying to keep people away from this gift. But sex is a gift for a specific context. Like You've probably heard the analogy that sex is like fire. In the right context and in the right place, fire is very helpful. So when you put fire into like a fire pit or something like like that is really helpful because it brings warmth and all these other good things. But if you put um, you know fire out in a, a different context, like out in the field or something like that, it's actually very destructive, right? So in the same way, sex is a good gift when it's found in the proper context, and that proper context is a marriage between a man and a woman. So Genesis 1 shows that Adam and Eve were brought together in the marriage covenant for reproduction, while Genesis 2 shows that Adam and Eve were both similar and different And their union together is a wonderful way for humanity to reflect the unity and the diversity seen in the Trinity. So key passages on this would be Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Ephesians 5 that you can go look up for yourself. And the last thing we see the Bible teaches is that all sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage is sin, including all forms of homosexuality. Now we don't have time in this podcast to get into all this, but Leviticus 18 and 20, uh, Romans 1, and 1 Corinthians 6 all teach this very clearly that all sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage is sin. So that could be one-night stands, that could be cohabitation, or same-sex committed relationships. So while this is an, an extremely restrictive view in our culture, culture this is nothing new in Christian teaching, and it is not new for it to be countercultural either. So, but if you have any questions about this or what the Bible teaches on sexuality, we would love to walk alongside you and answer those questions in any way we can. But just to sum up the Christian teaching, sex is a good gift from God, given exclusively for marriage between a man and a woman. And all sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage is sin. So that would be our theological position. But that raises the next question of our relational posture. While what I said is true and biblical, it's also true and biblical to love your neighbor. So that leads to the question of how do we actually love our LGBTQ neighbor well? And I think historically the church has gotten our theological position right but has done some pretty destructive and harmful things in not having the li- the right relational posture. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give us three quick points here, and then I'm gonna bring Elizabeth and Philippe in to help discuss this a little bit further. All right, how to love our LGBTQ neighbor well. The first thing that we're called to do is build authentic relationships. No matter anyone's sexual ethic or orientation, they are made in the image of God. Genesis 128 shows that. Therefore, they should be treated with honor respect, and love. And that means that we are called to love our neighbors who have different uh, sexual ethics than we do, just like we're called to love all of our neighbors. And I think Jesus is an amazing example of this. Think about it. He remained celibate his entire life. He never had sex, never even lusted after someone. And at no point do you see him ever berate someone over their sexual sin. Whenever he comes in contact with with someone who is sexually different than him, whether that's the Samaritan woman of John 4, the woman caught in adultery of John 8, or the prostitute in in Luke 7, we see that Jesus responds to them with kindness and dignity. Jesus actually had his harshest words for those who mistreated those made in God's image and those who were religious hypocrites. But to those who had sexual sin or sexual differences, he actually responds with grace, and we should do that as well. Rosaria Buttersfield says this. She says, in a post-Christian world, our words can be only as strong as our relationships. And I love that. What she is saying is that in a world that is skeptical of you because you're Christian, in a world that already assumes that you're intolerant and unloving because of your theological position, we must work hard to build real, authentic friendships with those that we are seeking to love and share the gospel with. And we must be their actual friends. That means a few things. First, we're called to listen well. In order to love well, you must listen well. You're not able to be a good friend to someone until you have actually understood their background, their personal experiences. So we should spend more time listening and less time talking in relationships. The second thing is to spend time together. When someone shares with us their their sexual lifestyle, we should thank them for sharing with us and assuring them from the beginning that their sexual orientation will not jeopardize our friendship with them. That our friendship is not based on them holding our specific viewpoint, but our friendship with them is based on sacrificial love of neighbor. And if Christ, who loved us, who were very different than him, that should lead us to then love others who are very different than us as well. So basically, we're just called to be a good friend. Just like you're called to be a good friend to anyone, we should spend time together with them and we should listen to their story. The second thing we should do is we should invite them into the family. Help them see what the family of God is like. 1 John 4, 11, 12 says that most people will never see God, but if we love one another, we show them what God is like. We make the invisible God visible by the way we sacrificially love one another. And for many people, rejecting a homosexual lifestyle means they may be choosing a life of singleness. They may never get married, but we can show them that they never have to be alone that there is a family that loves them and a family that cares for them. I also think people uh, naturally assume that the church, the family of God, is a judgmental place, but instead it should be a humble place because we are all in need need of God's grace. I think a great analogy I've heard about this is um, this analogy of a waiting room. So imagine there's two different waiting rooms. One is a waiting room for a job interview. The other is a waiting room for a doctor's office. They're both waiting rooms, but but the kind of atmosphere is very different. In a waiting room um, for a job interview, everybody's looking at each other, trying to size each other up, trying to see who is better than the other person. In the waiting room of a doctor's office, everybody there just assumes everyone else is sick. You're not judging each other. You're all there because you need help. The church should not be like a waiting room for a job interview, but the church should be a waiting room for the doctor's office. We're all there, we're all broken, and we're all in need of the great physician. And so it's an amazing opportunity for us as the church to be a community that loves and serves one another, that we are gathered together not to size one another up, but to bear one another's burdens. Sam Alberry says it this this way. He says, It is the quality of our community life as a church that will most visibly show a watching world that the Christian stance on sexuality is most compelling, even more so than our speaking clearly into the public square. So that means that we should invite our LGBTQ friends into the Christian community and show them what the family of God is like. So that is why we have family groups, to have the opportunity to live out what it means to be family and invite others to experience that. All right, and number three is to speak the truth. Now, this last part is really important. When we think about speaking the truth, we normally think about calling somebody out. But uh, Sam Albury, who's a pastor who struggles with same-sex attraction, says this, says that we should, when sharing, we should start with the center of Christianity and work our way out to the edge, which I found very helpful. Like, we would not assume if we met a businessman that his biggest struggle was greed and talk to him about that before we get to the gospel. So why would we do that with anyone else? Specifically, we should start with the gospel and then move towards the Bible's teachings on sexuality. So we should start by teaching that the gospel is good news for all people, right? So it's not just good news for some people or a certain type of person, that when we share the good, the gospel, it should sound like good news to anyone that we share, share with. We see that Jesus does this exact thing in John 8 and Luke 7, that he extends grace and invites them into a relationship with himself. So the first thing that we should do is to share the good news of the gospel. The second thing is that everyone who follows Christ must deny themselves. Mark eight thirty four says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For the practicing homosexual, it is clear what you have to give up to follow Christ. Right? For many of them, they're giving up pleasure. They're feeling out, they're giving up what feels natural, companionship, community, marriage, and it just seems very, very costly. But for everyone following Christ, it is costly. Sam Alberry has another quote that I think is great. It's kind of long, but I want to read it. This is what he says: it says Every Christian is called to costly sacrifice. Denying yourself does not mean tweaking your behavior here and there. It is saying no to your deepest sense of who you are for the sake of Christ. To take up a cross is to declare your life forfeit. It is laying down your life for the very reason that your life, it turns out, is not yours at all. It belongs to Jesus. He made it, and through his death, he bought it back. So it doesn't matter if you came to Christ in VBS if you have 100 Awana badges, if you're the leader of your youth group, if you're the president of the FCA at your school, following Christ should radically impact your life because following Christ impacts all of our view on sexuality, who we marry, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what career we choose. Following Christ um, is worth it, but it's also costly. And if it isn't costly, you should maybe check to see if you're actually following Christ at all. And the last point with this as we're teaching Speaking the Truth Clearly is then to teach that sex is a good gift that God has given exclusively for marriage between a man and a woman. We should not be afraid of teaching this. We believe that we have a good, kind, generous God who designed sexuality in a good way. And so we should not be afraid of the teaching of this, but we we also don't have to feel like we have to come right out the gate with this from the very beginning. So in closing, what we're saying is that we should build authentic friendships by listening well and spending time with others, that we should invite people into the family of God and that we should speak the truth by boldly proclaiming the good news of the gospel, reminding them that all of us that follow Christ is costly, and then lastly, what the Bible teaches about sexuality. So, hopefully, what you see is uh, that this actually is not that different than how we should love anyone. People in the LGBTQ community are not a different kind of person, but they are people that we should honor, love, and respect like all humanity because they are made in God's image. So now I'm going to bring in Elizabeth and Philippe to talk about this a little bit further. So Elizabeth is a part-time lion trainer who holds an honorary degree in spoken English, and Philippe is an orange belt in karate who recently finished a nature tour throughout the Australian Outback. So thanks for being here today, guys.
1: You're welcome. Wow, what an intro. Yeah, thanks uh, for having us. Filled with (laughs) flies.
0: Yeah. Elizabeth, uh, your English was great. (laughs) Really covered. Also, handy. I like that you
1: said I'm a part-time line trainer because the other part, <laughs> am I doing college ministry? It's just like a side. You're just working thing.
0: your way up to full-time. You got, a, you got an internship. Women's
1: director is just like, a, it's yeah. actually my second Yeah, uh, You're just favorite in,
0: Right. Yeah. All right. Well, Philippe, here's my, my first question is for you. Why do you think it is so difficult for us to love those who have a different view of sexuality than we do?
2: Yeah, uh, I think it's difficult because a common belief that people have in our culture is that our sexuality is our identity and that's what defines us as a person. And when us believers are speaking from a place of truth and love, people who hold a different view of sexuality may receive what we're communicating to them as an attack on who they are as a person. Um, And I think entering into these conversations, people can be a bit apprehensive and have this fear that uh, the words that they may say um, or the words that they say may hurt the person they're talking to, or even uh, that they themselves may be ostracized for what they believe in. And I think us also as believers can fail in being quick to listen and seek to understand others first. And I think what would be really helpful is entering into these conversations out of a place of humility and coming in as a learner, wanting to understand the other person.
1: Yeah, I think that is awesome, Philippe. And I would only add that um, with the humility part, I think that We just as humans want to be right and Mm. want to be understood. And sometimes when we let that drive our conversations, um, we are not as gentle or as good at listening. And it's just hard when people disagree with you, especially with something you really believe in. Um, I think you can feel this intensity of needing to defend the Bible and get in an argument when really it's a messy thing to talk about And something that usually won't get all the way talked through in just one conversation. And so I think we can also, in our own pride, um, just want to be the people with the right answers and kind of go in letting that be what drives our conversation instead Mm -hmm. of what you're saying, loving people and listening to them.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think kind of what I hear you guys are saying is just the importance of being humble in the conversation and then listening well. So kind of like we said, like instead of being the person who's talking the whole time, really listening well, asking good questions, getting to know the person. So the second question is for you, Elizabeth. Why is the church family so important when loving others?
1: I think the church family is important uh, because we aren't meant to do anything alone, and I think that includes reaching out and loving others. And the body of Christ is made up of so many different people with different giftings. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, how we're— Many members, um, but one body, we are together and unified. And so I think we need each other. We need help loving those around us. Um, no one should be only having one Christian in their life caring for them because the body of Christ together images God better than just a bunch of individuals. And so that's a it, just a benefit that we have in the church is that we can connect people to multiple believers and together we can display who God is.
2: Yeah. And I think that the church family is so important when loving others because, yeah, it should be the place where people can feel the most vulnerable and share Mm -hmm. the messiness of who they are. And people feel the most love really when they feel the most known. Uh, So I think that there should be this expectation that whenever people come into spaces where the church family is present, uh, they can share even like the darkest and most broken part of their lives and be met with God's grace and the gospel tells us that we don't have to be ashamed about our past or like even like current sin struggles, but can bring them out into the light because we've been forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus. Um, and yeah, just like Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, um, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch of your family, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, and I think that this verse speaks into how like important the church family's role is in carrying others' burdens and loving them really well.
0: Yeah, I think some of you said there. I think, I mean, imagine if the church was known as a place where people could be known and loved, and not as a place where people are judged.
2: Mm-hmm. If that
0: was true in America, that would drastically change people's view of the church and drastically change the church's impact on the culture. So I think just fighting hard to be that kind of a community where people feel like they can be vulnerable and open and honest, so I think that's that's awesome.
1: And I think that um, because they're seeing, like they can do that because they're seeing it displayed by other people who are struggling with lots of different things. It's not like everyone in the church is struggling with the same one sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People have all different pasts and experiences and sin struggles, and so even having multiple people to share those... Um, struggles, I think, can help people be vulnerable themselves. Mm-hmm. exactly.
0: Um, well,, Philippe, let me ask you this question. How would you kind of uh, encourage people to respond if they're in a conversation with a friend and that friend comes out to them or just shares with them um, that they're actively practicing a homosexual lifestyle?
2: Yeah, I think that if someone shares anything with you that has been kept hidden for a while, especially their sexuality, then that shows like how much they really trust you and one of the first ways, that you can respond to them is just thanking them for their willingness to share um, that part of their life with you. And yeah, even like me, it took honestly like a while for me to share um, with the guy that discipled me, um, like that I struggle with like same-sex attraction, but when I knew that I could trust him, um, I really wanted to be honest with him about like what is like hard in my life. And yeah, like when I was able to share that with him, he did a really good job in like listening to me and like caring for me. And yeah, I think another way that you should respond is reminding them that you will always like be their friend and you'll always like love them regardless of like the things that they share with you.
0: Yeah, I think that's really, really good, man. Thanks for like sharing that with us. Like the importance of like uh, one, like thanking them for being that vulnerable with you. But then also, I I know you said that, you know, you didn't immediately share it, Mm -hmm. right? You said maybe it took a little bit of
2: time. So Can you kind of speak to that a little bit more about why it might take a little bit more time for somebody to share that? Yeah, I think for me, um, in my experience, it was really hard because I really didn't have like people um, in my life to like really like share with me like what the Bible said about homosexuality. Um, so I yeah had like a lot of thoughts or like lies in my head like thinking that I was like too far from God's grace and yeah not really like understanding like how can I still follow Jesus but like have these. Um, desires and attractions, um, but yeah, I think, yeah, just, like, knowing how much, like, Josh, like, really cared for me and, like, wanted to, like, continue to, like, remind me of the gospel, like, I was just, like, really led um, to share that part of my life with him because I knew that he was someone that I could trust.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's just the importance of building trust over time, and that will kind of lead to someone being more vulnerable, you know, with you about it. So, let's just actually just kind of stay on that topic a little bit, um, so we're talking a little bit about how to share the gospel with people from the LGBTQ community, but I want to ask, how do you care for a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction? So what would be some ways that you think are helpful to do that? So, Philippe, you can go first.
2: Yeah, uh, I know that I um, personally feel like the most cared for um, by being like encouraged and reminded that um, this sin or, like, this struggle um, is not, like, my identity, mm-hmm. um, but also being reminded that, like, Jesus is worthy of me dying to myself, like, in this, um, but also, also, like, with, like, every aspect of my life, um, like, Jesus is worthy to be followed. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, one way that I'm, like, really cared for is um, being, like, exhorted every single day, like Hebrews 3.13 says, um, in this and, like, every sin struggle I need to be reminded of the truth so that I won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin Um, and yeah I would encourage you if you do have a friend um, who struggles with same-sex attraction um, to really make it easy to talk about but um, like Wes said not be um, or it not be like the main thing that you talk about with them and I think how I feel cared for is um, really when people like acknowledge that this is something that I struggle with and like ask really intentional questions um, to care for me.
1: Yeah, I think it's really helpful to not act shocked when someone tells you, I mean, any sin. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when someone is confessing something to you, especially if it's something they haven't told anyone, like I would say one of their biggest fears in that moment is that you're going to reject them. And that is such a time, even if you don't know what to say or what to do, to display the love of God by listening and by just responding even just very simply of like, thank you for sharing and I love you. Like, I, I don't see you any differently. And I think you can also own with your friend if you're like, if you don't know what to say or do, mm-hmm. I think you can be humble and admit that yeah, and be like, hey, I want to walk through this with you. I've maybe never personally struggled with it or I, I don't know anyone who has, but I want to learn and I want to be there for you. How can I do that? What is helpful for you? Would you like me to bring it up? Are there specific accountability questions I can ask? Um, because I think, yeah, I think sometimes when we're caring for people, we just feel like we're supposed to know exactly what to do. Um, but that's okay to admit that you don't. I think it's very humbling and it actually helps you hear from your friend. Mm -hmm. um, What would be helpful for them? Because not even every person who struggles with SSA is the same. Like (laughs) people are different and um, that's why it's so fun to get to know people is because um, we just learn about God through interacting with so many different people. And so I think that's another way I would just say to ask good questions, even about how you can be a good friend to them and, just remind them over and over again of God's goodness because the culture has a different narrative than the Bible right now. Mm -hmm. And that is really hard to live in. And I think we are all faced with that in different areas of our life. But I think the conversation about sexuality right now in our culture is very loud and very, it's just talked about a lot. Um, And so I think even like comforting your friends because... I mean, it's in tons of TV shows. There's, there's just lots of things that they're going to wrestle through as they're choosing to live in God's design but denying their desires. Um, and so I think it's just important to like continue to ask about that and continue to be listening and patient and even reminding your friends of the goodness of God even when it goes against what we may want.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good. I think a couple things you said there, were just one, just to be humble in the conversation, and to even ask them, how can I care for you well? To not not feel the pressure, you have to know what to, 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 to do. Because I think oftentimes, one thing we do, though, is we... We treat this sin as is a whole other category mm-hmm. than all other sins. Yeah. And we have this specialized thing in order to help people with this. But mm-hmm. it's just like all of us have different struggles. This is just one struggle that someone might have. And even what, Flip that you were saying, is not to make it the only thing that person struggles with. Their identity is not this one sin struggle in their life, right? There's, there's lots of different things in their life. So I think being humble, reminding them of the goodness of God, Um, making sure that you are loving them well, asking them how you can really help them through all this. So I think all those are really, really good things. So kind of last question, it's kind of the overall topic here. Just didn't know if y'all had any other thoughts that you would encourage um, kind of for everybody else about
2: how to share the gospel with a friend from the LGBTQ community. Yeah, uh, I think one thing I would say to encourage people is to not, um, like you said, like focus on their sexuality as the main like sin issue And I know that I did this once when I shared with one of my friends who's openly gay, and it quickly turned into a debate, and we both left the conversation with hard hearts towards one another, which really hurt our friendship at the end. And yeah, looking back, I would have started our conversation with the gospel, explaining how sin has distorted all aspects of our lives, not just our sexuality, um, rather than trying to debate like why homosexuality is wrong. and yeah, homosexuality is just like one way that sin has distorted our view of God. And if someone isn't walking with God, they shouldn't be held to this expectation of obeying him, especially when it comes to his design of sexuality.
1: Yeah, I would, I think, recommend first to the believers, you have got to dig into the Bible um, for yourself and you need to wrestle through the passages on homosexuality and even just God's design for sexuality, for marriage, because you are going to represent God's word and design poorly if you do not know it. And so you have to do the hard work of getting in it. And And there are hard things that we all have to wrestle through with how God designed things because we are uh, prideful little beings and we think that our way would be better. And so, I mean, over and over again, we are coming face to face with um, submitting our desires to what God has said is good and pure and true. And so I think that would be the first thing for Christians is I would say, don't go into all these conversations. If you are not putting in the hard work of getting before the Lord and wrestling through that with him. Um, and then I think second, I would say, uh, yeah, is don't act like this is something that's like so different from everything else people struggle with, like Wes was saying. So I think even in sharing the gospel, there isn't this formula for how to share with someone who's in the LGBTQ community because um, you share the gospel with people the same way, no matter what they're struggling with. You don't make their struggle the center. You make like just the fact that we're all sinners and in need of God's grace. Um, And so I think I would lead the way using my own brokenness and sin because the only reason I know Jesus is because of his grace to save me and reveal himself to me. It is not because my sin was any less weighty. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you lead the way with that too, of even sharing your own brokenness with sexuality, maybe you don't struggle with SSA, but sexuality is broken because of the fault. Like our minds, we are, we lust, we think impurely about others and yeah, our just minds are in a lot of ways impacted by the broken world and by sin. And so I think you can even lead the way with your own sin and sharing how God has saved you and then begin to talk to them about their need for Jesus. But I definitely wouldn't put the pressure on yourself to make like, oh, they're in the LGBTQ community. I need to first tell them what the Bible says about that. Like that will come, but they are a sinner and they need God's grace no matter what they struggle with.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's good. Kind of like we were saying earlier, you want to start with the center and mm-hmm. then move towards the edge of Christianity. You want to start with the, good, the, the reality that the gospel is good news for all people, and also that for anyone following Christ, it is costly, whether you struggle yeah. with same-sex attraction or not, but then eventually getting to the, to the teachings on sexuality. But I think all those are really, really helpful. I, I, I think just remember, you know, this is a very countercultural thing mm-hmm. that we believe as Christians. And if you're right now, if you're kind of wondering, like, what does the Bible actually teach? And you want to dig into this further, I encourage you to talk to a staff person, reach out to us, whatever it is. We would love to walk you through this um, as we all kind of learn, like, how do we love and care for our neighbor well? And how do we be the body of Christ to really invite people into the family of God to really experience the love and the grace that God has for everyone? All right, so a discussion question for you to be uh, talking with your D group about is, how can you love those in the LGBTQ community well? What does that look like for your life Uh, A couple of resources that could be helpful is Is God Anti-Gay by Sam Alberry. So this is a great book on both what does the Bible teach about sexuality and then also how do you care for a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction and then how can you love those in the LGBTQ community well. All right, another book that I think is really helpful is The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield honestly, this book is just helpful for just all things in ministry. It's all about how to love those who are different than you, how to invite them into your home, how to practice hospitality. It's just an amazing book. So those would be two good resources if you want to kind of dig into this a little bit bit further. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Summit College Love Your Neighbor podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can get the podcast as soon as they drop, and we hope this helps equip you to love your neighbor in word and deed as you represent Christ on campus.